speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I am going to look at the next two episodes of The Adventures of Superman television series, Rescue and The Secret of Superman. Before we get to that, this episode is dropping on Tuesday, July 19th, and today is also the release date of the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice on Blu-ray. Now, the movie was released digitally for download at the end of June, specifically on Tuesday, June 28th, but this is the first time that you can actually own the film in hard copy, so to speak. I know of a few people who ordered and watched the digital version of the film. I have watched the film digitally shortly after it was released on June 28th. I received my disc in the mail today, and I'm looking forward to kind of cracking it open and kind of going through the Blu-ray, and uh, so far I've only looked at the extended cut of the film. I'm Now that I've got that under my belt, I'd like to look at the theatrical cut one more time to kind of see how that plays now that I know what's missing. I am expecting, as I have in other films in which I've seen extended cuts and then gone back to watch the original, that I will definitely feel the gaps in the theatrical cut when I watch it. I'm personally a big fan of director's cuts and extended versions of films, so usually once I see extended versions of films, I kind of stick with that and rarely go back to the theatrical cuts of the films. And also for the fourth episode of Man of Screen Extra, which I'm planning to release on Friday, July 29th, I am going to hold a show on, you guessed it, the extended cut of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Back in March, I've given my thoughts on the theatrical version, and I'm looking forward to sharing my thoughts on the extended cut as well. I have quite a bit to say about that version of the film, and and you can look for that on Friday, July 29th. But I want to hear from you, the listener. So I am giving you an opportunity to write in and let me know your thoughts on Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, either the theatrical cut or the extended version of the film, and and I'll be happy to read them at the end of Man of Screen Extra, episode number four. So with that being said, I am going to take a quick break and play a promo, and I'm going to come back with Rescue. Hang around, folks. Carl. You have traveled far. One journey has ended. A new journey is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. What I do is spend six episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode so that I can talk about small things. Smallville's the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics, and so every eighth episode, I put Smallville under a microscope. Listeners all around the world have been shocked 
to discover just how awesome Smallville truly is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. I've recently finished what most people regard as Smallville's first run with the conclusion of the mighty third season of the show. But as awesome as Smallville may have been up to this point, the best is still to come. And I want you along for the ride. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Now with fewer cigarette breaks. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday only at Two True Freaks. Dot com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to move right ahead to Rescue. The original broadcast date was November 14th, 1952. This episode was written by Monroe Manning and directed by Tommy Carr. Guest cast included Housley Stevenson as Pop Polgesey, Fred Sherman as Inspector Sims, Ray Bennett as Stan Hacker, Edmund Cobb as Leif Reiser, and Milton Kibbe as Harry Hansen. And now on to our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Pop Polgesey has been working in the same coal mine in Carbide, Pennsylvania for nearly a decade. Mine Inspector Sims, however, has been forced to condemn Pop's shafts due to unsafe conditions. I've warned you about this hole, Pop. It's all right. King fell in yet. Look at that. Let's get out of here. That's a death trap in there. I'm condemning it. No, wait a minute. You can't do that. Oh, I can't, eh? I'll show you whether I can or not. Hey, what about my new tunnel? I'm drifting right off the main lead. Then you'd better forget about it. Because if I catch you using that hole, I'll have you locked up. That's confiscation of property! I won't stand for it! And in spite of Sims' orders, Pop intends to dig for more of the rock. On the way to the Washington, D.C. offices of the Daily Planet, Clark Kent has dropped off Lois Lane in Carbide, where she is covering a story on the coal mining industry. Meanwhile, Stan Hacker has decided against going into Pop's tunnels. Now, wait a minute, Pop. But I tell you, it ain't dangerous, Stan. I've been working it for over ten years. Ten years ago, it might have been safe. And it's safe now. And anyway, that new tunnel is off to one side. I seen the mine inspector up here today. What did he say? Who gives a darn what he said? Come on. Hey, Pop. Now what? I ain't gonna do it. Them timbers are rotten to the core. Listen, Stan. If we find the coal vein, I'll make you a partner. I got a family. A partnership won't do them no good if I'm dead. 
You're a fool, Stan. All right, go on home. I'll do it myself. An angry and stubborn Pop goes inside to dig without Steve, only to be trapped in a cave-in. Steve blows the disaster whistle, which is heard by Sims as he explains operations to Lois. An avalanche of rock has pinned Pop inside, and Sims and his crew must wait for the rescue squad before even thinking of getting him out. Who's in there? Pop Pogresi is working his new tunnel. I told him to stay out of there. Is he alone? Yeah. Well, why don't you go in after him? Gotta wait for the rescue squad, lady. You mean there's a man trapped in there and you're just going to stand here and wait? Now, take it easy, Miss Lane. The rescue squad has special equipment just for this sort of operation. Well, he might die in the meantime. Yes, he might, but you just don't walk into a hole like that without taking certain precautions. Is there a telephone near? Yes, you'll find one in the shack over there. Thanks. Lois has phoned in the story of the tunnel cave into the Daily Planet. Meanwhile, Sim's crew will have to create another path in order to get the pop. This doesn't satisfy Lois. She intends to get the elderly miner out sooner than Sims. In Washington, Clark has had no luck getting information for his story, and he is unaware of what's going on in Carbide. Lois, in miner's clothing, has just entered Pop's mine. She manages to get to the tunnel where he is trapped, but in trying to free the elderly prospector, she has caused another cave-in. We're trapped. Oh, don't worry, Pop. They'll dig us out. Sure they will. If the air holds out, and we don't smother to death. Smother? When that entrance filled up, it cut off the air. Well, well, what do we do now? Just sit and wait. Maybe do a little praying? News of Lois's predicament has reached Washington. Unfortunately, Clark left for Carbide before the teletypes finished its bulletin. Editions of the Daily Planet telling of the disaster arrive mere seconds after he leaves the city. The radio has even broadcast word of the incident. Here's the latest bulletin from the scene of the mine cave-in at Carbide, Pennsylvania. The rescue shaft is now down 40 feet, and Leif Reiser, captain of the mine rescue squad, states he expects to break into the old workings later on It is still not known whether Lois and are still alive. Keep tuned to the station for further bulletins. But Kent is unable to hear it because he is repairing his car. Sims' men have nearly reached the tunnel in which Lois and Pop are stranded. Unfortunately, gas has entered into the shaft, making it impossible for the rescue crews to dig any further. Pop. Pop. Pop, wake up! I hear you. Pop, I smell something. What? Well, I don't know. Pop, that won't do any good. You might as well lie still. Don't die like a rat in a trap. No. Don't talk that way. They'll dig us out. You might as well know. Know what? That's gas you were smelling. Gas? Well, what do we do now? Nothing. There ain't nothing we can do but die. Clark Kent has finally arrived at Pop's mine. Hello, Mr. Sims. What's all the excitement about? Gas. We just broke through the joiner drip and found it full of gas. That's too bad. Huh. You seem mighty unconcerned, Mr. Kent. Should I be concerned? Well, I would be if it was a friend of mine in there. And where? What are you talking about? You mean you don't know? Know what? Miss Lane and Pop Pogacy are trapped in a mine cave-in. Trapped in there? Where? Tell me where. Someplace under that hill. Yes, but exactly where? Well, we don't know exactly where. As soon as the gas clears out of the tunnel, we'll go in there and try to find them. He changes into Superman to dig them out of the rock. As he leads them out of the shaft, a dirty cloth ignites, causing an explosion. The Man of Steel holds up the tunnel entrance, while Lois and Pop escape mere moments before the mine caves in yet again. Will they be all right? They sure will. 
I never saw anything like that before in my whole life. Seeing that Pop and Lois are safe, Superman leaves to resume his guise of Clark Kent. Are you feeling better? A little. Where's Superman? Uh, he's gone. I expected it. Gosh, Lois, that was a close one. Are you all right? I guess so. A little shaky, that's all. You better get in your own clothes. I'll drive you back to Metropolis. That sounds grand. And Clark. Yes? Superman finally took me out. And with those words spoken, Clark cannot help but smile as Lois walks away to change into her normal clothes. Alright. My thoughts. One note I found interesting from TV.com was that it said the story in this episode is very much the same as the story of Action Comics number 3, except that in the comic book Clark Kent disguises himself as a coal miner instead of putting on his Superman costume. No, this story is really nothing like Action Comics number 3 at all. Actually, maybe the first couple of panels of Superman of, of Action Comics number 3 where Superman does dress as a coal miner to rescue somebody who's trapped, but that story is really about how Superman kind of forces the mine owner to provide better safety equipment for the mine by trapping him and some socialite friends in the mine during a party and kind of simulating a disaster. There's none of that in this episode, but there are some elements from that story that are used here that aren't really dealt with in the slightest bit. At the beginning, Pop is very unconcerned about the safety of the mine, even though it's pointed out to him by several people that the mine could be dangerous. And he ignores that, and that leads to the cave-in. But that's never dealt with in the episode. After he gets trapped, it's all about rescuing Pop, and once he does, everybody kind of does what they're going to do, go, goes about their merry way, and that's the last we hear of Carbide, Pennsylvania. And actually, another thing about this episode that kind of bugs me to a certain extent well, one, it's obviously not one, well, this is not one of the better episodes of season one, but also this is the kind of episode where if the main characters never showed up in Carbide, Pennsylvania, this scenario probably plays out to a good conclusion, if you can call it that. I mean, yes, Pop is still unconcerned about the safety of the mine, and he'll still get caught in the cave-in, but it's the actions of Lois that actually will make this situation worse. Her impatience to get Pop out causes the second cave-in, causes their air to be cut off, causes the gas to be released, and necessitates the need for Superman to save them both. If Lois doesn't intervene in this situation, barring any other problems, the rescue squad probably gets Pop out of the mine on their own with no need for any assistance from Superman. But we're going to get to more of that in the analysis of the episode. So let's start right at the beginning with Pop Bolgesy and Mine Inspector Sims. As Sims is showing Pop that the mine is a death trap and he condemns it. But Pop is upset because he feels that this is going to hurt his livelihood. It probably will. And it seems from looking at this that if Pop is indeed in control of his mine, he hasn't done a very good job keeping up with maintenance and safety upgrades or whatever they need to do. Now, after that, here come Lois and Clark down a dirt road on their way to Carbide. Now, how do you know you're in, you're out of the city in, the, in this show? Because the car is driving down a dirt road. And they stop at the sign to Carbide. And this kind of reminds me of Superman and the Mole Men, where they 
show the sign to Silsby and the population. Very similar here. But I like how they have to stop the car to read the sign. And Lois does not like being taken out of the city very much. In Superman and the Mole Men, she complains about going to Silsby, and she's kind of making some of those same complaints here about coming into Carbide. Little does she know the adventure that's going to befall her. And this leads to some playful banter between Lois and Clark about the mind story. Lois doesn't want to do it, and Clark is enjoying her discomfort. So, apparently Clark is on his way to Washington. We don't know why he's going to Washington, and we know he's trying to question some senator or a politician, because apparently the man they have on staff in Washington isn't good enough to do his job on his own. He needs to be rescued by big-time reporter Mr. Clark Kent. But, you know, we never really find out what... Clark is there for, and he doesn't have any success about it anyway. Small Clark Goes to Washington subplot is really just that. It's someplace for Clark to go while Lois is getting into trouble. All right, now Pop is still trying to get other people to work with him in the mine. He has ripped down the mine inspector's condemnation notice, and now he's trying to get Stan Hacker to work in the mine, but Stan also was telling Pop that the mine is dangerous, but Pop doesn't want to hear about it, doesn't want to hear Stan's concerns. Pop doesn't care what the mine inspector is saying, and Stan points up, points out how the timbers are rotten, and he won't go inside, and even Pop tries to sweeten the pot a little bit by offering to make Stan a partner, but, you know, Stan makes a very good point about how all the partnerships in the world won't do his family any good if he ends up dead, and I agree with Stan there. When you've got a family to think about, you can't put yourself in that kind of situation. Maybe when you're young and single, you can take a risk or two, but even then, I can't see myself putting myself into a dangerous situation just for, you know, a few extra dollars. I don't know, maybe if the deal was good enough, but I don't know, maybe not even then. My life was a little too important to me. Apparently, Pop is either so confident in the safety of the mine, or he doesn't care much about his own life. He goes underground and is caught in a cave-in. There is a nice shot here of the dust blowing out of, out of the entrance and... Well, eventually, we get a shot in the mine of Pop buried underneath some rocks. And obviously, Lois's ears perk up when she hears the disaster signal go off. All of a sudden, this boring little story about mining has gotten a far more interesting for her. Now, she's talking to the men who don't just want to venture into the mine without taking the proper precautions. You know, and she is aghast that they're going to wait for the rescue squad and not just kind of walk into the mine blindly. Now, my question for Lois is this. Would you walk into a burning building without waiting for the fire department to bring its equipment over? This is kind of the same thing here. You know, I understand that she's concerned for Pop and wants to see the man rescued, but the kind of blundering she is suggesting will not only risk Pop's life, but it would risk the lives of anyone who goes into the mine. And temporarily satisfied, she... Asked her to the phone, and interesting trivia note, the phone number for Metro for the Daily Planet is Metropolis 60500. So this is a little bit more of Lois doing what she does. This is what she's supposed to be doing, as opposed to questioning the ins and outs of a mine rescue. Now, the show does do a lot of good work with these miners. You can see how there's lots of busy and tired men here trying to work to get Pop out of the mine, and you can see in the makeup, that these guys are tired, they're dirty, probably getting a little bit cranky. Meanwhile, Lois is just kind of standing there with a cup of coffee. Getting Pop out is not going to be easy 
But Lois is still not understanding why they can't just stroll in there with a smile and dig him out. This is where we hear that they have to dig a new hole somewhere else. And they're going to go back to the mine, to the mine inspector's office in a few minutes to look at a map. Pop calls for some help. He's not so deep that people can't hear him. So they know he's okay. They're, they're relaxed a little bit. Pretty sure he's not in an airtight room. Pop seems to have confirmed that for him. And, you know, while he's pinned, they feel that they can get to him in a, in a reasonable amount of time to pull him out of this situation safely. However, that reasonable amount of time is not reasonable enough for Lois. And she oversteps her bounds here. Couldn't someone go in after him? It's too dangerous. Then we'd have two men to dig out. Well, I'm going in there. You stay here. That's a death trap. But that man... We're doing all we can. If everything goes all right, we'll have him out of there in 24 hours. 24 hours? Now, you stick to your reporting, Miss Lane, and leave mine rescue work to us. I understand that she's concerned for Pop's safety, but anyone who's been in rescue knows you don't endanger five men to save one. They're estimating that they can get him out in 24 hours, but for her, that's too long a wait, and she says that. And like I said, she's overstepping her bounds here a little bit. I would know. I'm an editor, was a field reporter at one point. You know, I've never covered a mine disaster, but I've covered how structure fires. I mean, I don't go up to the, fu- to the fire department and tell them how to put the fire out. Yeah, I'm going to talk to the fire chief at some point, and he's going to tell me what information he knows and what he can tell me about the investigation. But he's not going to ask me where to point the hose. And I got a little bit of a chuckle when Sims told her to stick to her reporting and leave the rescue work to them. You know, he's got a point. And as a journalist, when a man's life is at stake, it's your job to report on the, on the disaster, not to get involved in it. I don't care how you concerned you are for people's safety. In response, Lois goes back to the shed and starts changing her clothes. Bet you didn't know prior to this episode that the Daily Planet had a Washington bureau. Well, it does. Clark has had... No success doing whatever it is he's doing in this D plot. Not even good enough to call it a B or a C plot. Stick with D or an F. But he's going to go run an errand so he can waste more time doing whatever he's he's doing. Maybe he's going to go get a sandwich or something. I don't know. Well, but how little looking at what Clark is doing has given Lois a chance to put the miner's jacket on over her coat. Apparently, we needed to cut away to watch Lois change her jacket. I'm sure that blouse up to her neck is very risque. Lois, headstrong as ever, stupidly runs into the dangerous mine because she thinks she can save Pop. Yes, I just called Phyllis Coates' Lois Lane stupid. You just don't do this. Well, so anyway, Lois is into the mine and she's going to use her super strength. Oh wait, no, she doesn't have super strength. But she thinks she does and she's going to move some wood and go deeper into the unstable tunnel. She did a good job following the sound of Pop's voice and she found her way to him. Pop was shocked that Lois was a girl, but that doesn't stop him from taking a sip of her water. After all, he's probably pretty thirsty from all the dust, and the fact that he's been laying there for however long he's been laying there, probably sometime by now. Lois needs a lever in this situation to to maybe lift some of the rocks off of of Pop. So Lois grabs a 2x4 that was holding something else up and causes a cave-in. Good job, Lois. Never move something that is holding something else up. Eesh. Now Lois has done it. She's gone and made things worse. Before the second cave-in, Pop at least had some air. 
but the only thing Lois managed to do was cut off the air supply. So, now, not only is there one other person trapped, now there's two people trapped instead of one, now there's a time limit attached. And Clark has no idea this is going on as he leaves the Washington Bureau before the wire service has been notifying them of the mine disaster. And this is the point where the rescue squad has realized that they're on a time constraint, as they know that Pops and Lois' air has been cut off. But the mine inspector has an idea, and his maps show that a new plan is feasible. Clark's still in Washington, and a copy of the Daily Blade is thrown onto the ground, reporting that Lois is trashed, but Clark doesn't see that. So now that's two warnings about Lois's peril that he's, been, that he's missed. Meanwhile, Lois is busy trying to dig them out with a 2x4 because she can't just sit there and do nothing. And, you know, it's funny watching Clark drive around with no sense of urgency because he has no idea anything's going on. And now, apparently, he's having some car trouble. Just nothing going right for him today. He wasn't able to accomplish in Washington whatever it is he drove down there to do. And now, the car's breaking down on him. And wouldn't you know it, as the car breaks down, the radio goes off and plays a bulletin about the mine cave-in as Clark works on the car. And the sound of the radio is drowned out by Clark revving the engine when he gets it going. This is the third time Clark has missed something about the mine disaster, and I find this one a little unforgivable. I can understand Clark not seeing the wire dispatch and missing the copy of the blade thrown on the ground, but he should have heard the news report even over the rev of the car's engine. The man has super hearing, he should have heard it. So meanwhile, in the mine, Lois and Pop were sleeping. You know, why not? You can't do anything else. Just trying to conserve your air. The best thing to do probably is sleep. Slow down your breathing and consume the air a little less quickly. When Lois noticed that Pop was sleeping, she got a bit of a scare and thought she was dead. But, and now, to add to their troubles, she smells something coming into the mine, which Pop identifies as gas. The situation is now going from bad to worse, if only Lois had let the rescue workers do their jobs. And now that the gas is coming in, Pop has shown some renewed interest in getting out, but that didn't last very long as he quickly resigned himself to death because of a scenario that Lois caused. Let's repeat that because it sounds mildly important. The scenario that Lois caused. Not the first cave-in, that was Pop's fault. But this second cave-in probably doesn't happen without Lois's intervention. Just saying. Clark finally shows up at the mine bureau and finds no one there. But as they're doing that, the man is hit the tunnel as Sims is telling him when he gets to the mine. And Clark is still absolutely clueless about what's going on. And he's just kind of talking very casually about the mine, about how things are too bad. And then I love how Sim points out how unconcerned Clark seems at first. But the minute he hears Lois is trapped in that mine, his posture immediately changes. His shoulders tense up, he's no longer as relaxed, and he's getting urgent. You know, he now he, and he runs off, and now it's time for Superman. While Simmons is confused as to where Clark has run off to, everyone is shocked at the sudden appearance of Superman, but they are certainly not complaining about his showing up. Superman breaks into the mine with reckless abandon and digs them out. Even with Superman here, the problems just go from bad to worse. Because now some cloth has ignited and it's caught fire and now we have an explosion. But but Superman does what he's got to do when he holds up the tunnel long enough for Lois and Pop to come out. One thing I love is Superman standing in this crowd watching the rescue squad 
give Pop and Lois some air is that he's standing there in this crowd with his hands on his hips. Then when he gets an opportunity and knows everyone's all right, he sneaks away long enough so Clark can come back. This painful episode ends with a bad pun. And yes, I know Clark smiles, but I just kind of groaned. Like I said, this was not one of the better efforts of season one. It wasn't terrible, but I'm pretty sure there'll be worse episodes down the line, but I just didn't think too highly of this episode. So, with that being said, I'm going to take a break, get some bourbon, drown my sorrows, and then I'm going to come back with The Secret of Superman. Hang around, folks. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Atom. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to move right along to my next episode for this week, The Secret of Superman. Original broadcast date was November 17th, 1952. The writer was Wells Root, and it was directed by Tommy Carr. Guest cast included Peter Bracco as Dr. H.L. Ort, Larry J. Blake as Roush, Helen Wallace as Mrs. Olsen, Joel Friedkin as Herman, Stephen Carr as The Cook, Marja Dean as the Agency Woman, Al Hill as Sam, Walter McGrail as a newsman, Joey Ray as another newsman, Frank J. Skinnell as the sergeant, and Sid Tomac as the undercover police detective. And here is our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. It is after 1 a.m. in Metropolis. Clark Kent has received a telephone call that has awakened him. Mr. Kent, this is Mrs. Olson, Jimmy's mother. Oh, yes, Mrs. Olson. Something the matter? What time is it? It's past one in the morning, and Jimmy's not home yet. Hmm? Jimmy's not home? Well, no. Well, there's nothing special going at the paper tonight. When did you hear from him last? Well, he called me from the office about five o'clock. You know, it only takes five or ten minutes from downtown to here. Could he have stopped off anyplace? Well, the only place that he could have stopped was Jerry's diner at the corner. Did you call the diner? Yes, and it was closed. I'm terribly worried, Mr. Kent. Jimmy's never done anything like this before. Now, don't you worry, Mrs. Olson. I'm sure everything's going to be all right. Chances are he ran into a fire or an accident or something. He's just trying to be a good reporter. But I'll check around, and I'll call you later. Oh, thank you, Mr. Kent. Goodbye. Goodbye. Clark calls the office of Editor Perry White. However, he is suddenly disconnected when someone hangs up. You will not answer the phone if it rings again. Now, where is the editor's file? The what? 
the editor's filing cabinet. Oh, over there. Now Clark is preoccupied as well. He's found Jimmy in a trance-like state. Jim, what are you doing here? Jim, what's the matter with you, boy? Don't you know me? I, no, I... I... Jim, Jim, wake up. Mr. Kent. Jim, what are you doing in here this time of night? I don't know. Is this the chief's office? Of course it is. Do you mean to tell me you don't know how late it is or how you got in here? No. The last thing I remember, I, I went to Jerry's diner. Jerry's diner? Yeah. Some guy came up and sat next to me at the counter. I, I don't remember anymore. How'd the chief's private file get open? Gosh, I, I don't know. Maybe Mr. White forgot to lock it. Oh, no. He didn't forget to lock it. It's been jimmied. There's a folder missing. Now think, who jimmied this cabinet? I don't know. I, I, I tell you, I can't remember, Mr. Kent. I hope you don't think I did it. Oh, no. Of course it wasn't you. You know what folder's missing? No, sir. File on Superman. Superman? Oh, golly. You better go on home, Jimmy. Your mother's worried about you. I'm going over to the newspaper club and tell the chief. Come on. Perry White is staying in room 322 of the Metropolis News Club. A waiter named Herman is about to bring him a sandwich and coffee when two men attack him and steal the tray. What is this, the Explorers Club? A man could starve to death here waiting for a sandwich and coffee. Come in. Okay, it's here. Good evening, Mr. White. Hello. Uh, who are you? I never saw you before. Josef, sir, the substitute waiter. Herman is ill tonight. Well, don't just stand there. Put it down. Put it down. Sugar, sir? No sugar. Just give me the coffee before it freezes. One of them, Dr. H.L. Ort, is now in White's room serving the editor and placing something in his beverage. It puts White under the man's control, which allows Ort to ask about the Superman file. Certainly. Mr. White, do you recognize this? Yes. It's my office file on Superman. Mr. White, who is he? What? Who is he? Superman. I have determined he always figures in your newspaper stories. Reports on Superman's activities invariably appear first in the Daily Planet. Yes. Then someone at the planet must know how to contact him. No one does. No one. You are the editor of the planet and you don't know? Why are you trying... To make me think when I can't think. Why do you want to know? Because I have work for Superman. I must find him. Go to the door. Send whoever it is away. Yes. Mr. White. What's going on here? It's Herman. He has been badly injured. Call a doctor. Clark Kent has been able to get Perrietta out from under the influence of Dr. Ort's drug. Both he and Inspector Bill Henderson have been questioning the editor about the night's events. Unfortunately, Perry doesn't remember anything after the false waiter had given him the coffee.
Analysis of the drink shows sodium amytal, a true serum that also rids a person of his or her free will, was placed in the drink. Lab. The analysis of the coffee left in the chief's cup shows a powerful amytal compound. Amytal? That's the basis of the truth drug they're using in European prisons. Fred King says this is a new and more powerful compound. The lab's never seen anything like it. They're trying to break it down now. I remember now. We had a confidential report on this stuff from overseas intelligence. You know what it does? Invades the brain centers, paralyzes the will. You're telling me I was the guinea pig. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What about that file on Superman? Why did they steal it? Why did they bring it here? Obviously, someone wants to find out about Superman. For me, what would I know about it? Well, Chief, a lot of people think that Superman works for the planet. You're the editor. Say, maybe they're smarter than we think. Maybe you're Superman. Me in that outfit? Now look here, Kent. Skip it. I've got a hunch. Like you said, Kent, I think they're trying to find out something about Superman. They started on Mr. White and the Olsen kid. But look, they've circled Miss Lane's name and yours here and here. Kent, I think you're the next man up. Could be. Don't worry, son. If they're up to something really big, they don't want you. They want Superman. Six of one, a half a dozen of the other. I'm going to put a tail on every one of the planets who's ever seen Superman. That's a good idea. I can't afford having my staff fed truth drugs. They go around in a day's enough of the time as it is. Don't put a tail on me, Inspector. Why not? Because it might scare them off. I want to meet these characters, get close to them. They could be rough boys, Kent. How close are you figuring? It's as close as I can get. I might even quit the planet, try and get a job working for them. You can't quit the planet. You can always fire me, can't you, Chief? Fire you? Or Tenchman Roush observes Kent as he asks Sam, a lunch wagon owner, for something to eat. Hello, Sam. All right. Um, last chance on a cup of coffee and a couple donuts. Can you pay for him? Why, sure. I must have a quarter somewhere. You're into me for nearly two bucks now. If you want coffee, you'll have to have the cash. Give the man some coffee. Give me some, too. Well, thank you. Oh, that's perfectly all right, my friend. Plenty more money where this comes from. You uh, wouldn't be looking for a place to go to work, would you? Work? I sure would. Hey, come here. I can't talk to you, kid. I'm not allowed. Look, you've been tailing me for weeks for nothing. See that big guy over there? Yeah? He's the one that doped my milk. Watch him. He's trying to slip something in Mr. Kent's coffee. Excuse me. See? See what he did? Grab him! To prevent Clark from being drugged, the detective and Jimmy attack Roush. Inspector Henderson's man takes a bullet in the leg before he shoots Roush in the back. Clark takes Roush to Dr. Orth's residence at 26 Mason Street to help the criminal. As Jimmy follows Clark and calls Lois Lane for assistance, Dr. Ort is trying to remove the bullet from Roush's spine. He is unsuccessful, and Roush is dead. However, the henchman succeeded in doing his job, bringing Clark Kent to Dr. Ort. Me, Doctor? Why? We shall see. We shall talk a little while, and we shall see. Uh, but uh, forgive me, you've had a difficult time. Would you like a sandwich? I surely would. If you don't dislike to uh, eat a dead man's lunch, it was ready here. Would you like uh, beer or wine? Neither one, thank you. If you happen to have some milk or ginger ale. Ginger ale? Certainly. Before my friend died, he said perhaps you might be uh, on the lookout for a position, Mr. Kent. I surely am. To our meeting. 
May it bring both of us good fortune. Sit down, Kent. Yes, doctor. Finish your ginger ale, Kent. Yes, sir. Since you would like to work for me, perhaps you'd begin by getting rid of the body in the next room. Yes, sir. I dislike dead bodies around the house. They're so untidy. At the back door is a small truck. Take the body to the river and dump it. Yes, sir. Then come straight back here. Speak to no one. To no one, sir. Your mind is now a blank, Kent, subject to my will. On your way in the truck, think of every time you have seen Superman, every detail about him. You know a great deal about Superman, don't you, Kent? A great deal. Good. We shall have a nice long talk when you come back, Kent. Lois has entered Dr. Ort's home in search of Clark Kent. Ort tries pleasantries to disguise his true motives, but Lois doesn't believe him. Oh. Never mind. It'll wash out the blood. Sit down in that chair, Miss Lane. Yes. Now I'll ask the questions. Who is Superman? Think. You must have some clue to him. No. None. Could it be that he hides behind the darkest disguise of all? Could it be that he is a woman? Superman? A woman? Me? Oh, no, Dr. Ord. What made you ask that? because he has compassion. He aids people in trouble, he helps the weak. White and Olsen are often not there when he appears, are they? Very seldom. Sometimes you are not there, Miss Lane. Sometimes. But Clark Kent is always there. Clark is never there. He arrives when Superman is gone. He is always there, but they are never seen together? No. Never. Of course not. They couldn't be because Clark Kent is Superman. Clark... Superman. Yes. He must be. Try as she might, Lois is unable to resist Dr. Ort's mind drug. She has been ordered to bring Jimmy, who was called Inspector Henderson, into the house. Henderson tells Clark, who has been recounting his experience with Orton Roush, that Jimmy hung up before saying anything. Believing that there's trouble, Clark rushes back to Ort's home as Superman. He stops the mad doctor from killing Lois and Jimmy. Superman! You got here just in time! Clark. You're Clark Kent. Stay with him. And Ort gets away as Jimmy passes out. Dr. Ort was shot and killed in a gun battle with the police outside of his home. Clark Kent has been able to revive Lois from the mind drug Ort had given her. Lois. Lois, don't you know me? No, I... Oh, Clark. Where are we? What happened? Don't you know? 
Don't you remember anything? Not a thing. Are you sure? It's all a blank. Superman's secret identity is safe again. All right. I think this episode was a lot better than the first one that I covered on this week's show. This is the only episode to show us Jimmy Olsen's mother, although apparently she is often referred to in other episodes of the series. This episode will start off with Clark Kent fast asleep. And apparently Superman wears that ring that we often see on him on his pinky finger even while he sleeps. I don't know what the significance of that ring. It's probably a George Reeves thing. I don't know why she's calling Clark because she can't find Jimmy. I'm guessing from what we can glean from this phone call is that Jimmy still lives with his mother. But he's not at any of his usual haunts. And from what his mother is saying, I don't think Jimmy has any usual haunts at 1 o'clock in the morning. I guess Jimmy's a good boy. Good to know. And that Jimmy, our basically Superman's kid sidekick, is uh, a good boy. This is when we go into the chief's office. Well, at least the camera does. Somebody answers the phone when Clark calls, but their hand is put back down. You could definitely see that somebody picked up the phone, but somebody else lowered it with the hand and all. And from the coat, if you know Jimmy's apparel well, well enough, and all the male characters wear the same outfit from episode to episode, you could probably get a pretty good idea that this is Jimmy's hand. After Clark gets out of bed and into his Superman costume, we go back to the chief's office and we do see that somebody is shining a light right in Jimmy's face and he's speaking as if he's under some kind of trance. He's speaking very slowly and very zombie-like. So apparently this man in the hat here is, I think this is Roush, he's looking for something in Perry's secret files. This is where we learn that apparently Perry White is keeping an entire file on Superman alone. And I just noticed in the shot before... The criminal leaves that the negative here is a little scratched up on my DVD. Probably is on yours either. Superman lands in Perry's office and he doesn't look around in the slightest because he completed the change into Clark before he noticed Jimmy was in the room. A little careless there, Superman. But fortunately for Superman's secret identity, Jimmy is in a trance. And Clark shakes Jimmy out of the trance because shaking somebody always gets them out of hypnosis. Especially when you only have about 20 three or so minutes left to go in the story you're trying to tell. Clark has found the open file that the cabinet has been broken into, and Jimmy is getting frustrated because he doesn't remember, and he feels as though he's being accused for something he didn't do. Now, apparently, Perry is spending his night at the newspaper club, and apparently his room service is slow to arrive because he's frustrated and the server is knocked out. Perry in this scene is wide awake for what's supposed to be the middle of the night. And by the way, he's barking into the phone here. Apparently, Perry gets mighty upset if his midnight snack doesn't show up immediately. And before the server is knocked out, when he takes the tray from the kitchen to bring up to Perry's room, he repeats Perry's room number very uncertainly. It almost sounds as though he's under some kind of hypnosis. I don't know that he is or that he isn't, but it's ambiguous. The fact that he gets knocked out later on in the episode probably indicates that he's not under some kind of hypnosis. But we do get the substitute waiter, which is Dr. Ort. Perry is suspicious of him immediately. And he dropped a small tablet very quickly into Perry's coffee, and the editor reacts immediately and goes into this trance. He just kind of stands straight up and rigid and talks very slowly, kind of like this. Well, anyway, Dr. Ort shows... 
Perry, the Superman file, apparently he wants to know who Superman is. And why not? Just about everybody else does. And Perry asks an interesting question here. He asks Dr. Ort, Why are you making me think when I can't think? Now, I found that a little funny. There's a lot of intrigue going on here. The original server, Herman, falls into Perry White's room. And these other two guys find him on the ground. And this is when Ort says that he's hurt and runs away. And then this is when Clark shows up. He uses his shaking routine again to wake Perry up out of his trance. This brings Perry back to his usual impatient self. As like Jimmy, he can't remember anything that happened to him while Dr. Ort was in the room. And this is when we get a report of a truth drug being used. And Perry has all kinds of questions. Clark hilariously suggests that Perry is Superman. And Perry is just beside himself as he immediately declares that he won't wear that outfit. Henderson suggests that he put a man on all of the Daily Planet staffers who have been around Superman, and Perry is for it, not because it will protect his staff members, but because he can't have any of his people in a trance-like state because they walk around in enough of a daze already. He's not concerned about their health, he just wants them to be a little more alert. Clark makes a secret identity blunder here, as when Perry tells him not to worry because they're after Superman, six of one or half dozen of the other. You know, that could indicate to anybody who's paying attention that Clark Kent might be Superman. Clark comes up with a plan to trap the criminals, and Perry has to fire him. Perry doesn't get it at first, but when he does, John Hamilton winks at the audience kind of the way George Reeves does. I like that was a nice little nod to the way George breaks the fourth wall. Here you get to see John Hamilton do it. Behind the gruffness and behind the yelling, once in a while, John Hamilton will flash some character at the screen, and it's great when he does. So we move on to Clark checking out the jobs board. You can tell that Clark is seriously down on his luck here. He's not, after all, he's not wearing his tie. He's got an open collar look going here, and you know, nothing says out of work better than wearing your suit without your tie on. Now, then we come up to Sam, who's running the little coffee truck on the side of the road, and I wonder if this guy is in on it as he's refusing to put more coffee and donuts on Clark's tab. I don't know why this guy would let anybody put stuff on a tab. And, you know, looking back on this now, I mean, this episode came out in 1952. I laughed when the guy said, well, you're into me into me for two bucks. Well, for those of us living now in 2016, we know that two bucks doesn't really get you anywhere. I wonder how many days of coffee it took for Clark to get into Sam for $2. And then this is when Jimmy strolls up watching the alley, and I don't know how long this has been going on, but Jimmy implies that the uh, detective followed him, that he's been tailing him for weeks. And if coffee is 5 to 10 cents in 1952, then it could take a while for Clark to build up a $2 tab. But Sam, Clark takes advantage of the situation by getting his benefactor back to his place, even though he's been shot, as Jimmy follows him. Apparently, Jimmy knows what's going on, and he's going to call in the planet. I guess Jimmy's job was to follow Clark as he got recruited by Ort's men. I like that in this episode, Jimmy is not playing the scared kid. He's accounting for himself really well, tailing Clark and trying to find out what's going on here. The henchman dies from the gunshot wound, and Dr. Ort comes in and tells Clark that, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but a man has died for Clark's ruse. And that's not mentioned at all in the episode, so I wonder if anybody actually thought of that. Clark doesn't drink. Ort offers him a wine or a beer, but he prefers milk or ginger ale. No cola, apparently. 
And there goes an another tablet into his ginger ale. And this is where Ort is going to put his plan into motion, as Clark drinks it and knows that the tablet is in there, and he's faking being in a trance. At least on my first watch of this episode, I assumed he was faking, because nothing affects Superman in this show. And George Reeves does a great job here, going from normal Clark to hypnotized Clark. And remember, this is not George Reeves playing hypnotized Clark. This is George Reeves playing Clark, who is pretending to be hypnotized. A little extra layer of acting there to the usual George Reeves goodness. And for his first task, he's going to dump a body. Very un-Superman-like. Now, here comes Lois on the scene. Apparently we're having some time issues here, as... Jimmy says previously that the detective had been following him for weeks, and Lois says that Jimmy had been drugged the other night, which to me indicates about two nights. So, either Jimmy has been drugged again, which I highly doubt, or somebody's concept of the passage of time was a little bit off. And thirdly, the woman at the jobs board questioned that Clark was there again, which for me tends to swing the vote in favor of a few weeks as opposed to a few days. And now, because she's a newspaper woman, Lois is going to walk right into a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Although the scum and the villains here are far better dressed than what you'll find at the most Eisley Cantina. Now, Lois isn't taking any of Dr. Ort's nonsense, and he is denying any knowledge of Clark, and he's planning to give her coffee, because what's the first thing you do when someone is in your house yelling at you? You offer them a drink. Knowing what's probably going to happen, Lois takes it. Which didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me, but there it is. And Lois goes right into her trance, as Ort now has her in his power. And no, no, this is just Phyllis Coates playing hypnotized Lois. This is not Phyllis Coates playing... Lois pretending to be hypnotized. This is Lois hypnotized. And he has a roundabout discussion with Lois, and I think he convinces Lois that Clark is Superman. I'm not sure that Lois told Ort here that Clark was Superman, or that Ort convinced her that Clark was Superman. And Ort asks Lois an interesting question here. He asked if it's true that Superman hides behind the darkest disguise of all. And then immediately after he asks... Could he be a woman? Is he calling being a woman the darkest disguise of all? And did he suspect Superman of being a woman because he is compassionate? Is that a personality trait that's exclusive to women? Can't men be compassionate as well? I am probably overthinking this, but I have a podcast, and what the podcast if not if the host isn't overthinking it? Now, Ort is going through all the combinations that Perry and... Superman are never se aren't seen together that much. Jimmy and Superman aren't seen together that much. And Lois pipes in that Clark and Superman are never seen together. Well, okay, I mean, myself and one of my next-door neighbors are never seen together. That doesn't make us the same person. Ort brags that he has destroyed Superman's will, but we see in Inspector Henderson's office that Clark is fine. I wonder what he did with that body he was supposed to dump. Maybe he turned it over to the good inspector. Meanwhile, back at the house, Lois is still entranced, and she brings Jimmy in, who apparently Jimmy doesn't know to shake Lois. We get the shot now of Superman flying back to Ort's house, and again, this is my favorite shot of Superman flying. It's from the birthday letter and Superman on Earth. You know, Superman knocks the door down just before Jimmy and Lois are shot at, and he takes care of Ort, who he doesn't take care of Ort too effectively, as Ort does get away and get into a shootout outside. Jimmy faints just in time for Lois to say Superman is Clark Kent. Kind of convenient timing for Superman, and while Superman is making sense of things in the house, 
or it is shot dead in a shootout with police. Common trope, when somebody figures out the hero's identity, in order to keep the secret safe going forward, there's either time travel involved, or the person who has learned the secret dies. This time we're going with the death route. So eventually Clark comes back, and this time he has to shake Lois a lot more violently to get her out of the trance. As he's shaking her, Phyllis Coates' head is kind of bobbing up and down. Almost like it's going to fall off. And like everyone else has been doped up, she doesn't remember a thing, and it's all a blank. And that was a fun episode to watch, to watch everybody play their characters in trance-like states and for someone to figure out who Superman is for the first time. So that is a, like I said, a very fun episode. A little bit of hit and miss this week. But I want to know what you think. So send me an email and let me know what you think. Uh, manofscreen at gmail.com. Remember to get your, if you're so inclined, send your thoughts on Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, either the theatrical or extended cuts, to manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group by searching for Man of Screen Podcast. Or you can find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Next time, I'll be looking at No Holds Barred and The Deserted Village. So, until next time, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen Podcast. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.automatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.